So Money episode 85, Ramit Sethi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Monday. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Whether you're on your way to work, home from work, working from home, it is an honor to have you in the audience. Today's guest is one of the smartest people I know, hands down. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He writes for over half a million monthly readers on his website at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. There he covers psychology, personal finance, careers, and entrepreneurship. His name is Ramit Sethi. Ramit's unusual combination of psychology, analytical testing, and irreverent style led Fortune magazine to call him the new finance guru on the block. Ramit appears on ABC and PBS regularly and periodically writes for the New York Times. He studied social influence and persuasion at Stanford and previously co-founded PBWorks, a Silicon Valley collaboration startup. A few takeaways from our conversation. There were many. One, how Ramit is making 2015 the year of more and why he wants you to do the same. How taking willpower out of the equation allows him to perform at his peak. And how he spends just one hour per month on his finances. Just one hour. You don't want to miss this. Here is the great Ramit Sethi. Ramit Sethi, welcome to So Money, my friend. Such an honor to have you finally on the show. Thank you. I've been following your work for years. I know you've... I know that you're making 2015 the year of more, more freedom, more fun, more responsibility and challenges, more money, my favorite part. It's April. How successful have you personally been with this mission? Uh, I I like to think that so far the year is off to a great start. Uh, The year of more is really saying no to cutting back on everything and actually saying, I'm okay wanting more. I'm okay wanting more fun, more success, more responsibility. So I'm willing to step up and take more responsibility. And of course, if all those things happen, then, you know, maybe a little bit more money as well. And so personally, things look good. And more importantly, for my students and my readers, they have been doing an amazing job getting new jobs, starting online businesses and automating all their money. What is the psychological barrier? And you study this very closely, the psychology of why we do the things that we do, particularly when it comes to achieving greatness in our lives. And why do you think people have such a a resistance or maybe it's just not even an awareness really of of the fact that they are able to achieve more and better? Well, look around at the sources of information that we have. We have these personal finance experts constantly telling us no. No, don't spend money on lattes. No, don't go on vacation. Don't buy those shoes or jeans. No. And we have people around us saying, you know what? You're just lucky to have a job in this economy. No, you shouldn't ask for a raise or try to get a new job. Just be happy where you are. And so since we were young, we're taught to just follow orders, get in line, and do what everybody else is doing. So it's not really a surprise that we end up believing that 
we should just take what's given to us and not ask for more. But you know, it's ironic. When I went on book tour in 2009, it was right in the midst of the Great Recession. And I went to all these different cities and I was doing different TV spots and all of the producers, all they wanted to talk about was how bad the economy was. 8% unemployment. And I said, wait a minute. That still means 92% of people are employed. And that means that they want to know how to do better. Yes, let's help the people who are unemployed, but let's also not forget about the people who want to do even more. And that message was very tough for them to get across. Why? It doesn't sell newspapers. It doesn't sell ads. So I believe that you know, focus on what we're doing well and do even more of that. Do it better. And that's a message that I think is starting to resonate uh, pretty deeply. Your assistant sent me your bio, and I have to say you left out a lot of cool things. Um, so I'm going to brag a little bit more about you, if that's okay. 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 Uh, so I've known you for a while, like I've said, and I know you personally somewhat. I know I'm friends with your sister. She's lovely. I yeah. know that you. I've, I've actually covered stories with you where you've talked about paying your way through college entirely, which is very impressive. And I think you went to a small school in Northern California. That's right. Stanford. You're helping millions of people achieve greatness by landing their dream job. And through your Zero to Launch program, you're showing exactly what people need to know to start their own online business, which I know there's a lot of BS out there. I have friends who've gone through this program. They rave about it. I actually almost signed up for it. I have to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to like, like kind of go on a like a tangent here, but I think you would like to hear this because tell so me. I subscribe to your emails because I just think that. It makes me a better writer, first of all. Like I like to look, I like to read your emails to sort of learn how to write better, actually, because I think you're very witty, you're very succinct, it's enjoyable, but like so much information, just so much takeaway. So I, for that reason, I like to subscribe. Um, I like to support you, and I, I think you're doing great work. And I have, I had no intentions of starting a business, uh, at least not in the near term. But I was following your zero to launch campaign and the marketing and the the sort of uh, the literature you were putting around it. And I have to say, like, I stopped everything. I read all the emails. and I was like, maybe I should start a business. Maybe <laughs> I should do zero to launch. I called up friends. I'm like, should I do this? Should I do this? And I was like, you know, and I, and I didn't, but it was, it was really only because I, I looked at my life currently and it's like, I wouldn't have had the time to really go in and, and give vote as much time and effort as I wanted to really complete the program. And I know that you can do the program on your own time, but I wanted to just kind of devour it, devour it when I knew that I could at that moment. But so maybe in the future for me, but just as an example, like me, someone who wasn't even looking to do something like this, following you, the inspiration that you give to people, it's compelling, it's mobilizing. So I just wanted to say thanks and great work. Well, thank you. you. You just made my day, honestly. I had no idea you were going to tell me yeah. that. Yeah. Like, I really wanted to call you and say, like, Ramin, I'm one of your students. Um, <laughs> and maybe I will next time, but I am a big advocate of it. I literally was, like, so close to doing it um, because I really believed in what you were uh, promising. But it was just a, a matter of my kind of circumstances and being real with me. Because, you know, I have taken courses in the past and um, – they were crap and or I bought them and then I never did them and I just didn't want to make that failure. I didn't want to go through that again. Yeah. But um you know, it's so interesting what you're telling me here. And I think for everyone listening, it's really fascinating. First of all, I am more than happy to have people join my email list. Uh, I've been around for 10 years. I plan to be around for many, many more decades. There are a lot of people on my list who never buy a thing from me. And I'm more than happy. I say 98% of my stuff is free. 98% of my stuff is free. And 
if you love that, great. And if you decide to invest in yourself through one of these premium courses, that's also great. I have people who have been on our list for over, over two, three, four, five years and finally they decide to join one. That's great. And if not, that's also great. But I think it's really smart to, number one, be brutally realistic with yourself. Am I ready to commit and, and really follow through on this? And then it's interesting, number two, you said, you know, I wasn't even thinking of starting a business. I think a great leader or a great mentor or teacher can often show us that we are possible and we have so much more potential than we even thought. You know, whether it's a personal trainer, whether it's a coach, sometimes they're the ones who say, you know what, have you thought of doing this? And you realize, wow, I, that's actually possible with a little bit of help and a little bit of nudging. So whether you join it now or two years from now or just use my free stuff, I'm just thrilled to, have, to hear that you're actually reading it and internalizing it. Well, I'm very sincere and very honest about that. But let me continue bragging about you, okay? <laughs> um, you run at least a seven-figure business, perhaps eight, if not yet soon, um, focusing on helping people with their careers. And as you mentioned earlier, it started a lot of it started with this pivotal book, uh, I, will uh, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, which is also your URL. And you were able to leverage that body of work really successfully to the point now where, you know, as I said, very, very successful business, something a lot of authors only dream of achieving. P bottom line is you're on fire. And um, my question, I suppose now is, was this all part of the plan? You know, did oh. you like, I mean, you've always been ambitious. I follow your emails. I know you're kind of your story, but was where you are today kind of where you saw yourself five years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, of course I sat in a tall back leather chair with a cat in my lap and uh, <laughs> whiskey in the dark. And I just petted that cat and I said, wait till these plans unfold. <laughs> no, actually, to tell you the truth, when I started I Will Teach You Be Rich, I had no idea it would even turn into a business. I didn't uh, make a cent off of it for several years because I didn't want people to think it was some sleazy site just to make me money. By the way, isn't that interesting? That I used to think that selling was sleazy. That, that's very interesting. Maybe we can dig into that. Mm. And over time, I came to realize that, hey, a lot of people want my free stuff. That's great. But maybe some of them, just maybe, want a little bit deeper level of engagement and more detailed material. And so I started these little tests. You know, I would try to sell a $4.95 ebook, And I was petrified because everybody was like, oh, you, you know, you're going to be a sellout. And in fact, a lot of people called me that. But guess what? A lot of people actually... Uh, joined that small ebook, and they turned out to be the best students of all. And so over time, what I realized was, you know, I'm not like, I don't wake up and say, I got to think about money. That's not, I'm not, I don't love money per se. What I love is behavioral change. I love understanding why we do the things we do. Money's an easy way to get into that. But since then, you know, I, I'm very interested in negotiation. So I've built negotiation courses, courses on finding a dream job, starting a business. And now we're even dipping our toes into areas like fitness and food. All of these are tied together by something that we have a pretty deep expertise in of psychology and human behavior. And we're, we spend a lot of time trying to understand that. And if you think about all these areas, think about your money. If you're listening here, you know that you should probably cut back on certain areas of spending. You should probably invest a little bit more. You should probably earn more. We all know this, just like we know we should go to the gym. So why don't we? 
And that nexus, that area between the two is where we live. And I think we've been pretty successful at helping people bridge that gap. And we want to go even broader and even deeper as time goes on. What's your financial philosophy if you had to choose one? Big wins. Big wins. You know, uh, studying psychology, I learned about this principle called uh, we are cognitive misers. And it means that we wake up every day and we have limited cognition, limited willpower. And that has really profound implications if you think about it. It means that if you're spending your time and limited willpower worrying about some trivial $3 latte purchase, first of all, that $3 really doesn't make that big of a difference in the grand scheme, despite what people tell you. Second, you're using and depleting that willpower, which could be used for bigger and more important things. So I believe in focusing on the five to 10 big wins in life, like investing early, uh, finding a dream job, right? Making sure your credit score is good, automating, just these five or 10 big things. And if you do those big things in life, then you never have to worry about, should I buy a small Coke or a large Coke or a latte or not? Those things work themselves <laughs> out, you know? And so, so my belief is big wins. And that, that relates not just to money, but to health, right? Make sure you're healthy, put some time aside to food, make sure you're eating the right kind of food, et cetera, et cetera. And if you can do those big wins, just those five or 10 ones, you don't have to worry about the little things at all for the rest of your life. I think my listeners can really resonate uh, with that. Although I will say there's a, you know, there's still a population of people out there that are like, look, yeah, I want the dream job. I want uh, to not worry about my day to day, but I live paycheck to paycheck. You know, there's like, there's that whole aspect of the world that feels very much tied down by the small losses and the big losses in front of them. Well, I, I agree with that completely. And, and I'm not trying to write anybody off, but I do think that if they take an honest examination at what's worked over the last six to 12 months, I think a lot of people find out that they look back and they say, you know, I've been trying to cut back on this. I've been trying to cut back on that. Well, there's a couple things to think about. Number one, there's a limit to how much you can cut back on. There's no limit to how much you can earn. And number two, just ask yourself, has it been working for you? If you've tried a certain strategy and it's not working, then most people just decide to try harder. I think top performers say, all right, that strategy didn't work. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. It just means that that strategy doesn't work for me. Let me go on to the next strategy. Could be earning more, could be asking for a raise, uh, could be setting aside $50 or even $20 a month automatically into savings and just try that instead of trying to beat yourself over the head. I'd like to go down memory lane and focus on little Ramit. Uh, growing up in California, you were, uh, I believe you have three brothers and sisters, three siblings. Yeah. So there's four of you, um, immigrant parents from India. You talk a lot about how that upbringing and that environment really shaped your mindset and your perspective on lots of things, especially money. What is the biggest money memory that you have growing up that necessarily transformed your mindset today as an adult? so many memories. Uh, and I think my parents had a lot to do with shaping my beliefs about money. A lot of what I believe now came from them. Some of it I disagree with them on. But there are two examples of things that I'll never forget. One, I remember um, my parents, we stopped somewhere because at some bank, they had to get a money order. And they went inside and they, they told us to stay in the van. We had a minivan because that's how we rolled. 
and <laughs> they, they they came out laughing. And it's kind of rare to see people walk out of a bank laughing. And we were like, right. "Why are you laughing?" And they laughed because the bank teller laughing had all told- the way from the bank. Yeah, that's right. The bank teller had told them, uh, "If you." If you have $10,000 in your checking account, we can waive the money order fee. And they were laughing because it was so far-fetched and preposterous to think (laughs) that they would ever have $10,000 in their checking account. It was just completely unrealistic for them. And so so I remember that, okay? And then the second thing I remember is, you know, my mom stayed at home with us and my dad went to work. We were very middle class. And there were a lot of things that we didn't do. We didn't eat out much more than once a month, and it was only when we had a coupon. Uh, when we went on vacation, my mom packed lunches for all of us, stuff like that. But I, I still remember that when we played soccer or any sports, my parents somehow magically came up with the money for those uniforms. And even when I was in high school and I wanted to get an SAT tutor, which was quite expensive, I think it was over $1,000, they somehow came up with that money. And I remember them actually telling me in high school, they said, you know, we don't have a lot, but if it comes to education, we'll find a way to make it work. And that's something that stuck with me forever, which is, you know, education number one. That's just the way I was raised. And also, there are times and places where you just find a way to make it work, but you also make sure that you are not spending on areas that you can't afford. Mm -hmm. So for me, the big takeaway and the way it directly translates you know, I have this phrase I share with my students. I say, cut, uh, cut back mercilessly on things you don't care about, but spend extravagantly on the things you do love. But that said too, Rami, I mean, even though education is big in my family as it is in yours, and you, you know, you are smart still about pursuing that. You aren't like taking out six-figure student loans to fund your, you know, your education, and now your parents wouldn't have necessarily agree with that. Oh, no. In fact, they point blank told me. They said, you want to go to college? Well, they already knew the answer to that because Indian people always go to college. They said, <laughs> they said you want to go to college? That's great, but you need to get scholarships to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And, and they had a lot of wisdom. They said, first of all, don't worry about applying to all these great schools. Don't worry about the money. Just worry about getting in. And if you're good enough to get in, the money will take care of itself. That was a very mm-hmm. revolutionary perspective because a lot of people count themselves out before they're even in. So that was one. And then two... They told me I had to apply for scholarships, and I'm a bit of a weirdo, so I built this sort of system to apply to over 60, 65 scholarships, and I ended up paying my way through undergrad and grad school through scholarships. So there is a way. There's always a way once you're good enough to get in, and whether it's applying for scholarships, taking a part-time job, doing internships, those are all easy ways to get money, or even graduating with a little debt. doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Let's talk failure now. I like to ask this of all of my guests, not because I want to get all sad and mopey, but because I do think that the best failures are the ones that teach us uh, the, the greatest life lessons. What would be, you say is your, your number one financial failure? What happened? What went wrong? And how did you overcome it? I think the failures just... They, I think failures are very consistent, actually. If you're trying to do new things you're going to fail a lot. In fact, I have a tag in my Gmail account called failures. And my belief is if I'm not adding something to that folder every so often, then I'm not trying hard enough. The first financial failure that I can remember was, speaking of scholarships, the first scholarship check I got was for $2,000. I believe it was 2000 or 5000 And they wrote that check to me. 
directly to me. They sent me a check. That's a lot of money for a 17-year-old. And, you know, it's 1999, 2000, stock market is on fire. What do I do? I turn around and take that money and invest it straight in the stock market. And I lost half of it almost overnight. I still remember some of the stocks I invested in. Excite at home, bankrupt. JDSU, <laughs> bankrupt. And, and, I mean, first of all, investing in stocks isn't even what most individual investors should do. So what the hell was I doing? I lost that money and I said, all right, I better learn how money works. The, but the failures have only gotten bigger. Just two years ago, we made a bad technology decision for my business and it cost us $100,000. That was the price of the contract. Wow. We didn't even use the software once, but we had already signed the contract. And I said, I tried to be nice. Hey guys, can you just refund our money? They're like, sorry, no. And that was a $100,000 mistake. So you know, I try to minimize mistakes, but I also recognize that as you grow and as you're trying new things, sometimes mistakes are inevitable. That's okay as long as you're not um, bringing the whole company or bringing your own personal, uh, you know, fortune down with it. Mm. I would have still gone crazy and back crazy with that company. I would have been like, give me my money. I would, I you mean, know what? You know what the crazy thing was? Yeah. There was there, there was nobody to blame but myself. Hmm. I had put someone in charge of it. I hadn't done correct oversight of his work. And of course, he. I fired him immediately. But there was no one else to own up to it except me. And I had to laugh because what else are you going to do? The, I signed the contract. The company is technically right. You know, of yeah. course, it would have been nice for them to give me my money back. But it's, you know, it's business. Right. And I said, guess what? I'll never make that mistake again. So I think my friend said it very well. He said, I don't mind making a mistake once, but I will never make it twice. Well put. Okay, let's flip it. Let's talk success. You've had a, a lot of home runs. I want to know what was your favorite home run, financial, so money moment, and um, what about it is it that makes you so excited? Well, my so money moment was a little different than some of the conventional ones that I could you know, give you. you know, we've done very well in terms of some of our courses have really, really knocked our socks off. They've helped a lot of people start businesses, all that stuff. But there was something in my past that I think is, is pretty interesting. I was living in Mountain View, Palo Alto area. And this was after I graduated from college and I was, I'd co-founded a startup with a couple of other guys. And I found myself going up to San Francisco about four times a week, which was about an hour drive each way. And I was going up there because a lot of my friends live there and I wanted to go out. I was a young guy. And at a certain point, I started to say, you know what, maybe I should just live in San Francisco. It's, you know, it's cool. It's where everybody's going out. But I calculated how much more it would cost. And it actually would have cost like something like more than 2x uh, what I was spending in Mountain View, Palo Alto. And I could have done it, but it would have been close. Okay, so I could, it was within my spending uh, plan, but, but it would have been close. And ultimately, I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm young. I want to live in San Francisco. It just makes sense so I can have more opportunities and, and meet more people. And I did it. And again, it was tight. In fact, it was even, even tighter than I had thought because things are pretty expensive up there. Well, guess what? Within two months, I happened to get a $20,000 raise. And what I learned is that Sometimes you have to make decisions not primarily focused on money. So yes, you need to understand the numbers. I had run the numbers. I had a conscious spending plan. I knew all of that stuff and I could make it. But sometimes you just have to make the right decision 
that you know is right for you. And if you're doing the right things, if you're great at your job, if you have optimized your investments and you've automated your money, sometimes things will just work themselves out and you have to trust in that. So this is a little unusual to hear from me. A lot of people might expect me to be only primarily focused on spreadsheets and numbers. Yes, you need to be in control of your numbers and you need to know what's going on. But sometimes you have to make a decision not with money as the primary factor. And this was a great example of that working out. Right, because the location move brought you access, right? Access to and, and accessibility to people and uh, resources that you know would have been a, a harder to, to reach in where you were originally. And that's yeah. priceless. You can't put a price on that. That's exactly right. What's your number one financial habit? I know that habits are really important. You know this, you know, to whether it's you're trying to maintain your weight, uh, you know, and manage your money. So what would you say is your, is your top habit and why? Well, I try to take willpower out of the equation because I know that future Ramit is tired, lethargic, irritable, and just overall not very motivated. And I, and I think that's really realistic. Actually, I'm very energetic. I'm super enthusiastic. But I just know that some days I'm not on top of the world. And I need to plan for those days when I'm at my best so that I can still get things done when I'm at my worst. So what I do, my best habit is I just set regular check-ins. And I'm all about systems and automation. So I don't want to have to wake up and decide what should I spend money on today or, hey, what's happening with my cable bill? So what I do is this. First of all, I've used the system I talk about in my book to automate everything so that I spend less than one hour a month on my finances. And what I do is I set three kinds of check-ins. The first is a monthly check-in. And this one takes, it actually takes about less than five minutes. It's about three minutes for me. It just, this is the check-in. Am I on track with my spending? And is everything within general ranges? And this is, it's so short to check because I've already set up the systems to monitor my spending, to alert me if I'm off track, stuff like that. So it's very simple. Quarterly check-ins, I ask myself about investments. I say, am I on track with my investment plan? What's the plan show and what do the actual show? And I just ask myself, because I'm a business owner, have my contribution plans changed with cash flow? That takes about 30 minutes, and that's once a quarter. And then once a year, it's sort of the big sit-down. So this one is my plan versus actual. I review my asset allocation. I do negotiation calls with any accounts I have that I need to negotiate fees on. And I talk to the financial people in my life, my bookkeeper, my accountant, et cetera, to make sure things are on track and make adjustments as necessary. So that's you know a multi-hour process. It's probably about six to eight hours spread out over approximately a month. That happens once a year. But notice that I've taken all the emotion out of it. It's not dependent on if I'm tired or not. It's just a system. It's set in my calendar. It happens regularly. And because it happens regularly, I don't have to stress or worry about it. I know it's going to happen. Do you really have a budget for things? I mean, I imagine uh, you have plenty of money to go around, but is there are there certain things that you have to put alerts on because sometimes you tend to go above and beyond what's realistic? Um, it's a good question. So same as in my book, um, my my plan is just a little bit it's just a little bit extended beyond my book's plan, but it's roughly the same plan. You know, for me, food is not, 
you know, the spending I could spend on food is not really going to move the needle for me, even if I go to a super nice restaurant in New York. And in fact, my food spending is super consistent, so it, it, it doesn't really move the needle. There are a few things that move the needle for me, and what that means is I have to set ranges for them so that I make sure I'm on track. For example, it's business spending, like how many people am I hiring? How does that track to plan? Um, you know, it might even be clothes. Like I like to get nice clothes. I want to make sure that that's within my general spending targets. As you get really experienced with your own spending, you can kind of become a little bit more intuitive about it. And you kind of know just intuitively, just like a marathon runner can intuitively know what their heart rate is, same thing for spending. But with that said, I always want to be tracking it just in case my intuition gets off track so I can make sure I'm within ranges. I like that. All right, Ramit, we're almost wrapped here. Before we go, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Um, I just start a sentence, you finish it. First thing that comes to your mind, don't overthink it. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, like an ungodly amount of money, I would immediately... Redecorate my apartment. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what else am I going to do? I, I got nothing else to do with it. <laughs> okay, I like that. What's your style? Are you like a feng shui guy? Are you like uh, modern? I'm very, I'm very, yeah, very modern masculine. Like people come into my apartment and they're like, um, this kind of looks like a, like a hotel. I'm like, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Mission accomplished. <laughs> the one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better. Tony Robbins told me it was private jets. Um, what else? I got, um, Tim Ferriss telling me it was laundry. What's your easier, better expense? Personal trainer. No question about it. And I was on that email when you sent out to your email list about how much you, may I share this with my audience, how much sure. you share on a personal trip? It's like $50,000 a year almost. Well, it's 50, okay, so hold on. It's 50K for a personal trainer, a nutritionist, and I think there was a third thing like, uh, I don't know, travel or something like that. But the fact is I, I spend a lot on it. And I think that, um, you know, you want to live your values. So they say, um, if you want to see somebody's priority, look at their calendar. And that used to be in relation to productivity for an executive. But I also believe if you want to see someone's priority, look at their spending. We claim that we are so interested in our health and our relationships. When was the last time you invested in training, which is massively important to my own success? When was the last time you invested in someone to help you understand how to eat the right foods? When was the last time you hopped on a plane and just went and met one of your college friends? or rekindled an old relationship, that's alignment with your values. And so I make no apologies. Health and fitness is super important to me, and that's where I choose to put you know, um, uh, part of my spending. So I won't lie, like I read that, and I guess I did. I skipped the part about how it was, had these, uh, multi, it was multi-pronged. I thought it was just like a trainer. I'm like, man. So I'm trying to like map that. I'm like, divide it by 12 months <laughs> um, per hour. I was like, what am I doing with my life? I should probably get a fitness training license. <laughs> um, this is my point. I read your emails and they consume me. And I really, I mean, guys, if you're not subscribed to Ramit, I will teach you to be rich.com. Go run. Stop what you're doing. Subscribe. Um, it will change your life. My biggest guilty pleasure, this is a little different. So the earlier, the earlier question was about what makes your life easier or better, but do you have a guilty pleasure that you spend like boatloads of money on and you're not apologetic? Well, I don't feel guilt for it, but I'll tell you one that I guess people 
would tell me I should feel guilty for. Um, and that's a personal chef. So I have a personal <laughs> trainer who, this is the crazy part. I mean, I can't even believe it. They, they all coordinate amongst themselves. The nutritionist talks to the chef who makes the right food. And then the, the trainer sees all the food and all the da-da-da-da that I'm eating. I told you I like systems. I'm yeah, I'm like, man, system with capital S. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it, it can get out of hand. I just love them. But anyway, the personal chef makes food that I love. I love spicy food. I love this and that. Um, it's also really healthy. So that's definitely an area where I spend on. And just to share with people, this has really transformed your your physique. Like I remember you talking about how you gain all this muscle mass. And can you share that with us so that people know th this is results driven? Yeah. Yeah. This isn't just because I think it's cool and I want to get on podcasts and brag about it. <laughs> I really, it's, that's not the point. Um, I started this uh, several years ago for a few, a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, my mom stayed home with us and she cooked almost every meal for us. Okay. Breakfast when we were at school and dinner. And so I grew up eating home cooked food and I missed it. I wanted it. And I was tired of eating takeout and it also didn't feel good. You know, that I used to think it was normal to get a post-lunch slump. It's not normal. And you don't have to get that. And so if I want to live a rich life and I want to be a top performer, I knew that I'm sitting here putting stuff into my body every day. I want to make sure it's the right stuff. So I used to be um, roughly 5'11", 6 feet, and 127 pounds. I always tell people I had the body of a supermodel. A female supermodel. And, uh, and I wanted to learn how to actually gain weight. And I would tell myself all these things. Oh, I'm Indian. I can't gain muscle. All this dumb stuff. And actually, I just didn't know what I was doing. So I decided to turn to some experts, trainers, nutritionists, all these people. And so since then, you know, I learned how to eat right. And it's made a huge impact on physically to be able to put muscle on and look better in clothes and just mentally to know that I can do that. And if I can do that, then I feel like I can do anything else as well. Great, great story. I remember we had dinner one night and you asked everyone around the table to go around brag about themselves. And I, I really struggle with that because um, I don't, you know, what am I going to talk about? And your story really trumped everyone's because I was like, man, that's, that's a good brag. That's a good, good brag. Thank you. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is. Oh, Wow. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is paying for something doesn't mean that you're necessarily getting ripped off or that you're shallow. Uh, it means that if you can afford it and you value it, get it. This was a huge realization for me because I don't, I don't know if it's just my parents or my family or my culture, I don't know, or just, just the way I kind of absorb things. There's this belief with a lot of people that if you're paying for something, you're getting ripped off. Why should you pay for that online course? You could just find it for free. I mean, people <laughs> love to say that. And, and I just think, what, what a short-sighted view. I mean, do you know how many people email me? Ramit, uh, I'm deciding between these two books. Um, can you give me uh, 250 words on each so I can make a decision? I'm like, Ramit's number one rule of book buying. If you see a book that even remotely looks interesting, buy it. Buy it. it. $10 and you get access to an author's best thinking? I mean, come on. So what I've done with my site, and if you come and subscribe through IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com slash so money, you will see me talking about these frugalistas 
or even worse, extreme cheapskates who just always focus on cost. And my belief is, look, if you can afford it and you value it, get it. In fact, if you want $500 shoes, I will show you how to make enough to do it and you can buy it guilt-free. I love that. I think I kind of grew up with a bit of that mentality as well. And yeah. I love that you're supporting people to buy books. What's wrong with you people? Buy books. <laughs> I mean, I love the library, but when was the last time you went to the library? Yeah, I, um, I love libraries too. I grew up there. Yeah, it was my babysitter. My mom would drop me off and go grocery yeah. shopping. Don't tell anyone that. That's what, good. Yeah. Also, my mom would leave me. Your parents left you in the car a lot. I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> so that's did, a very normal thing. So well, did my yeah. parents. Okay. Do you know the funny thing? I, I, I was thinking about why did we go to the library so much? And I realized there's two reasons. One of them is kind of obvious. You know, Indian people want their kids to learn how to read. They love education. Okay. We get that. But the second reason is that it had free air conditioning. <laughs> and my parents didn't want to run the air conditioning, so they would take us there. I was like, genius. Oh, my gosh. I want to meet your parents. I think your parents and my parents should like get some dinner. I would um, love it. When I donate money, we're almost wrapped here. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to uh, meaningful causes to me. Um, because, look, there are a million different causes that any of us can give to. But I have to try to figure out a filter to give. And I give to the ones that are meaningful to me because... You know, it's something that I have history with and something that I understand better. So it's probably no surprise that I'm very interested in education. And that's something that, um, you know, I give to. I have to honestly tell you, I don't think that I Will Teach You To Be Rich has done enough in this area. I don't think I've done enough personally. And that's something that's going to be changing uh, this year and next year. So depending on when this comes out, I think you'll see some new moves and new initiatives with giving back to the community and uh i don't really want to say much more about it but it should be pretty big awesome all right we'll look forward to that and last but not least i'm ramid sati i'm so money because i'm so money because i know that money is just a small part of living a rich life well it's not said. A, it's not just about the chase it's about mm -hmm. more than money it's about using money to live a rich life well, thank you so much, Rumi. I knew this was going to be such a home run for our listeners and for this show. I really appreciate you joining us, spending time with us, and for sharing such you know big stories and and you know just a really generous guy. So I, I, I heart you. I thank you, and good luck with the rest of your big wins in 2015. Thank you so much. It's always a treat. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to my guest, Ramit Sethi, for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Ramit and sign up for his email and also learn about all of his products, check out IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com forward slash so money. Ramit's book is, of course, called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He is also on Twitter at Ramit. You can find the transcript and comments from this interview and all previous interviews over at SoMoneyPodcast.com. And there, of course, I like to hear from you. Click on Ask Farnoosh and ask me your burning financial questions or your career questions. I spend the weekends connecting with you one-on-one -on, -one on my Ask Farnoosh episodes of So Money. So if you've got a question, please don't hesitate. And if you'd like to connect with me more personally, one-on-one, -on -one, 15 minutes over Skype, just uh, do this. Go on iTunes, leave a review. Every week, I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to do that as well. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope your day is so money. 